Hey everybody, it's Tony, your host here. Just want to invite you to head on over to tonyfletcher.substack.com and subscribe, if you will, so that you can get yourself a weekly newsletter full of news about this podcast, my other podcast, a Substack-only subscribers podcast that's launching in December 2023, and you'll get additional show notes for this episode and other episodes complete with pictures, links, and even video and music if need be. That's tonyfletcher.substack.com. And now, on with the show. Welcome to episode 20 of One Step Beyond, a show about positively engaging with the world outside our door. Alternate tagline, take a step outside your comfort zone and enrich your life. And this episode, I can assure you, fulfills both those criteria. I'm Tony Fletcher a writer by trade, and I'm super excited about what you're about to hear. I'm titling this episode Black Travel Matters, which I hope is somewhat self-explanatory, and if it isn't, all will soon be revealed. I'm recording this episode and doing the final editing on January 20th, the day of the inauguration, and there is so much I could say about how this episode correlates to the momentous events of today but to perhaps hone in on a specific reference or two that I don't think will date quickly. Then after an election in November and January that was largely decided by the people of Georgia, let me observe that my subjects today, note the plural, all live in and around Atlanta, the biggest city in the state by far and widely considered the black capital of the USA. To the fact that America now has its first female vice president, its first vice president of colour, and one whose parents hailed from Jamaica and India, respectively. Let me note that we are discussing on this episode not only the travel experiences of my primary guest, Atlanta teacher Ashley Scott, but the educational travel he leads for his young black female school students, who now have a role model in the White House, a woman who has broken the glass ceiling of the vice presidency and its colour barrier with it. And this brings us to the fact that for me, The most profoundly potent and pertinent performance of the inauguration ceremony was delivered by the 22-year-old black female poet Amanda Gorman with the magical words of The Hill We Climb. If Amanda embodies the bright future of this potentially great but eternally troubled country, then the three young black women with which I also speak today, 24-year-old Nia, 23-year-old Deja and 15-year-old Joy, also represent that bright future. I don't mind confessing that I've often had my doubts about humanity these last four years, but I'm perfectly sure such doubts will continue over the next four years as well. But as long as we can be producing well-travelled, well-rounded individuals like those you'll be hearing from about halfway through this episode, then the cup is way more than half full, my friends. So with all of that, I trust that you too will look on the bright side of life today and join me as we prepare to go. One step I started off by asking Ashley to introduce himself and give us a little background about how he ended up doing what it is that he's doing. So right now I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I was born in Georgia. I'm a teacher. I teach at Midtown International School. Um, 
know, travel for me didn't start until, you know, <laughs> mid thirties, maybe, maybe early thirties. Um, I had never traveled out of the country before and decided to embark on a, on an adventurous um, idea of taking kids out of the country. Um, and so that idea uh, sparked, you know, 40 some odd countries later and taking, you know, 500, 600 kids later to different countries. Um, so travel for me, um, you know, it is that I, I do that for, you know, part of my job um, at, at my school and in, in personal life as well. So just to, the, the immediate thing, considering that you didn't start traveling till your 30s, so you didn't go out of the country, basically, till your 30s. No, man, I had never gone anywhere. I, I didn't even think I could go anywhere. Like I grew up in South Georgia um, to a single mom and never I dreamed of traveling out of the country, but never really, really thought if I if I can think back on it, never really thought that that dream would ever manifest into something real. So you mentioned part of it is through a school you work at, but um, another part of it you said is personal. So tell me about the personal side, about what you set up and, and what it represents. I started three travel programs at uh, three different schools. And I initially started, um, it's a long story, um, but I initially started because I knew that the students who I was, I was teaching were, were, would possibly grow up like me and never had an opportunity to travel. So... Um, I started traveling with them. And then once I started traveling with them, I then realized that really the students who would be more impact, impacted by my travel weren't getting the opportunity to travel because the travel was a little too more too expensive for them. So I started my own company called Abiri Tours. And Abiri does just that, create affordable international travel for black and brown kids and families. And so through, through creating Abiri, I've been able to take more students abroad and then more families, more black and brown families abroad. The core concept there, and and having you know read up on it somewhat, is that you realized when you were um, taking your school students that they were often the only people of color. Is that part of why you decided to set up your own group? I have to give a little context. So I, I set up those those travel programs with those individual schools, and then when I moved to a different school, uh, the school I currently work at, um, I continued traveling on my own um, doing other tours with, with, with families before I created Abiri Tours. And so when I would travel with those students who and families who were not part of the school, we were the only black people we saw, the only people of color we saw. When we landed, when we were walking through Italy or Beijing or you know Guatemala, wherever we were, we were the only black people that were there. And so yes, that lended itself um, that 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 sparked me to want to create something of my own. But more importantly, I think what happened was I realized that when I was traveling with those students, there were inevitably one or two students who could not go because the trip was a little more expensive. So two twenty five hundred, three thousand to me and you for two weeks may seem like okay, this is a steal. Everything's included. You know, I can you know. I can, I can get down with that. That's 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 going to be a really good bargain. But for those families and those students, it still was a little more expensive than than what they could afford. And so I was like, let's take out the middleman. Let me create the trips. I can dictate how much they cost, what my profit margin is. Thereby, if someone needs to suffer, I can suffer. And by and then I can give give that savings on to the to the students. 
during the lockdown, you started a podcast. I, I haven't seen an episode go up recently, but that you won't be the only person if that's the case who got one going. Oh and then, oh and then once you got back to work, couldn't keep it going. But the you gave it this title, Traveling Incognito. Yeah. And I'd like you to define that because I found that really, really interesting. Traveling Incognito is this idea of living with this duality of being a Black American, but also having the privileges that are afforded to you with an American passport, right? So I get to see the world and I have, I think it's at, before before COVID, it was like what the second, you know, most um, powerful pow passport in the, in the world, right? Um, I get to see the world, but I still, you know, walk around with that black skin. And so oftentimes I would see people of color, black people in different countries I was traveling and seeing what they were dealing with and the injustice that they were suffering, knowing that had I not had this passport, that that would, you know, be me as well. And so traveling kind of Negroes is this idea that I am still a black American, but with this passport, it kind of affords me this opportunity to kind of get a sneak peek into you know, uh, the privileged world. Right. Did you say that it's the second most valuable passport? Is that what I heard you say? I think it is. Before COVID, I think it was Australia that was more, um, you know, this, well, it, this, the strongest passport was Australia, which, which means uh, a passport that uh, allows you to travel to the most countries without a visa. I didn't know until editing this show that passports were ranked by the number of visa-free countries they'll get you into, if that's the right expression. Turns out there's an index, the Henley Index of Passports. And according to the 2021 index, it's Japan that tops the list with 191 countries for which you won't need a visa. The two passports I hold, from the USA and UK, will both get me into 184. There's about another 20 passports or so that fall in between these two numbers. Perhaps a more important statistic is that only 42% of Americans even own a passport as compared to two-thirds of Canadians and three-quarters of Brits. And if we allow that only 42% of all Americans own passports, we have to consider that the number of Americans who are people of colour is going to be significantly lower. Do we have a, uh, a problem in America and maybe in other countries where we just say to, uh, say to certain people, the world is sort of not for you. Do you, do you, do you think we, I mean, are you kind of ex expressing that you were raised with this idea that that outside world is not going to be for you because of the situation you're born in the color of your skin or some other kind of, uh, you know, constraint? Subconsciously, I think, yeah, you know, I think we are told the world is not for us. Um, my mom never traveled. Uh, my dad never traveled when they were together, and when he when we weren't when they weren't together, he didn't travel. Um, my mom's siblings they didn't travel. They stayed. They were born in the in the town that that I was born in. They were raised there. They stayed there. My idea of traveling when I was growing up um, was um, uh, a white woman and a black and a white man backpacking through Europe. That was the idea that I had about traveling, about uh, studying abroad. Um, and I could not, I, I knew I would never be able to do that. There was, there was no way I knew that I was going to be able to not work for an extensive period of time in order to travel the world and backpack and, and have that luxury. I knew that, you know, from, from, from the rip, I knew, I knew that. And so there was no, there was no question 
within me that, that this wouldn't happen for me, that I wouldn't travel 40 countries. I knew I wouldn't travel 40 countries because I knew I didn't have the means to travel 40 countries. Um, but I also think that, you know, you can't be what you can't see as well, right? So without an idea of the many different, and you have this podcast, so you've talked to many different people, people travel and have the ability to have many different abilities to travel um, this world. There are people who travel as, a, as their job, people who travel as part of their job. Um, you have people who, you know, who, you know, spend their, their, their credit card points to travel. And so there are so many different ways that people can travel the world that I was never privy to. And I don't think many of our uh, black and brown students even know those things. And so that's, that's why, you know, that's why Beery is here. What was the leap that you had to make then to get out of this situation, the scenario where you're, you're, you're raised to believe this is not for you and then you made it for you? I, I didn't make it. I, I didn't consciously make it for me. I think, you know, it was a, a special, a special, beautiful, amazing uh, 10-year-old student who made it for me. She came to me one day and said I wanted to go, she wanted to go on a field trip. And I said, sure, I'm going to take you on a field trip. This is my first year teaching. But I didn't know anything about field trips, so I'll, I was going to plan a field trip to the zoo. But before I could say, okay, you know, we're going to go to the zoo, she said, nope, I don't want to go to the zoo. I was like, oh, okay. No, I don't want to go to the aquarium. The Atlanta Aquarium, the Georgia Aquarium was just being built. So it was like, you know, the biggest aquarium in the world at that time. When she said that, I was like, okay, well, where do you want to go? I want to go out of the country. And so being my first year and 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 feeling like I had the responsibility and the weight on my shoulders to make sure that I provided this young girl everything that she thought she needed to be successful, I took on that challenge. So it wasn't necessarily something that I saw myself breaking out of. I I needed to break her out of it. Um, and so I researched and researched for uh, educational tours for students and I found one. And that's how I started traveling with students. So where did you take her and presumably some others? And how yeah. and, you, and your school went along with it, I take it. Yeah, yeah. So it's funny. Um, no, they didn't. They said I couldn't go. Um, so ironically, I never took her anywhere. I proposed the trip and they said no. And I was upset about it. And um, I left that school and went to another school and they said yes. And the first trip um, that I've ever take, I took students to was to Costa Rica. So you actually went and found a school or you were lucky in your next job and they were, they were up for it. Yeah. I found a school and told them what I wanted and told them this is part of the, what I wanted to do. I had researched it at the other school and they said no, and I needed to do this and they agreed. Great. I'm really glad. It's that, um, I'm just curious, is that a public school or is it a private school that was able to do that? They were both two private, uh, I'm sorry. They were both two uh, charter schools. And so they were able to do things different than, than public schools were. Um, and so the second school, you know, went on the limb and said, okay, we can do it. Great. Now, but that wasn't your first time out of the country, was it? Or was it? It was. Costa Rica, it was. So you were like, you were like having as much fun, as much of a learning experience as the kids you took. I had my camera like they did. I was listening to the tour guide, like as much as they were, I was, you know, I was starstruck and my head was on a swivel and I was soaking it all in and, 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 and basking in it. There's a picture of me on that first trip. I was on the, uh, we, we stayed in little cabins and I was on the porch of the cabin in a hammock eating, eating pineapples. And at that point I was like living the life. 
<laughs> you mentioned, God, there's so much to cover here, but you mentioned 40 countries. I'm going to ask you just to focus on a few that you think are your favorites to take your students. And again, your students are students of color. I'll just name a couple. So the um, Panama, um, Guatemala, two, two Central American countries, let's see, uh, Ghana um, and Cuba. Um, and I'll tell you why. All of those countries have a huge uh, people of color population and they all have a tie to the Af African diaspora. So it's, it's um, you know, we have the ability to um, be able to connect cultures. Um, Guatemala is probably the, the, my favorite place that I like to travel, which in turns um, makes it my favorite place to take students because we end up living with families. And again, it's like you said before, Tony, like, getting people out of their little bubble and experiencing another culture so that they are, they, they're no longer myopic about, you know, have, you know, myopia, myopia about the worldviews. Um, and so when we live with families in Guatemala, they wake up daily with these people, they go to sleep with these people, they eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They take Spanish lessons while they're there. You know, we volunteer, we work at a local uh, nonprofit with kids um, we, we go visit schools, but more importantly, they really have an understanding of how people grow up. We also, um, have intercultural conversations where we take, you know, students from Guatemala and our students, and we sit them in a circle and then we allow them to ask each other questions. You know, what, what do you want to ask? Like, what do you, you know, what do you want to know about the, uh, about li what, what life, what life is like about living here and vice versa? Um, and those questions and those answers are sometimes the, th those times are sometimes the best times on the trip. Was the third country you mentioned, did you say Ghana? Ghana was the third country. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Ghana, you know, I've, I've, I've seen about it, read about it. I do know people, black people who have said it's just, you know, the, the, the place these days. When were you last in Ghana? I was last in Ghana in 2018. Um, that was kind of the year of the return, I believe it was 2018. Yeah. And that was a, it, it was, it was a, you know, it's stereotypical to say it was a spiritual, um, trip. Um, but it was, it, it really, it, it felt like home. Yeah. Um, and everybody that we were with had that same feeling. Um, many times, um, Many times, Tony, black people want to go back to Africa and they're seeking to go back because they're trying to find that connection. They're trying to get that connection that was lost through the transatlantic slave route, through slavery. Uh, they're trying to reconnect and trying to find some semblance of home. And in Ghana, we found that. We found that in the villages we were in. We also visited a school there. Every, every place I go, Tony, I go to a school. Every single country I go to. Um, whether I travel with my school or with my own personal, we, we visit schools. Um, but whether, you know, we, we found that when we went to school, we went to a small village. Um, we had a naming ceremony. We went to the slave castles. Um, there was not one part of that trip that people didn't feel like they were um, at home and part of, the, part of the environment, part of the community. Yeah, I watched a video really recently. I'm trying to think if it was British or American about people, actually Black people moving 
to to Accra to Ghana. It just looked so incredibly vibrant there in Accra, and 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 it's something I'm aware of. What 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 are the age of the kids you take? Does it vary? At my school, I take students from anywhere with fifth grade to high school, and in my personal uh, trips. Uh, I want the students to be at least sixth or seventh grade um, because of the kind of trips that we do. Um, the trips that are, I do with school are more organized. Um, they're, they're not as uh, rustic, if I can say, if I can use the word. Um, so I want kids to be at least sixth grade because I want them to be able to reflect and understand what they're experiencing and be able to bring that back home. How do you get into Cuba? Isn't there still some kind of travel embargo? So you have uh, 11 uh, travel um, visas that you can apply for. One of those is um, a support for Cuban people, and we use that visa. And that you, you, your itinerary has to be strictly um, strictly adhered to. Um, you have to be able to count for all your, hour, your, hour, your hours and, and times there and show that what you're doing there directly affects and supports the Cuban, the Cuban person. Um, so we do that. I have a couple of friends there. We use them as our personal guide, um, our personal drivers as well. Um, we use uh, private restaurants. We don't go to state-sponsored state restaurants. We don't use any uh, uh, hotels. We use Airbnbs that directly puts money into the pocket of individuals as well. Um, we All of my travelers bring uh, things to donate and to help and support the Cuban people. Um, so everybody's bringing at least one extra uh, luggage, piece of luggage, you know, that's filled to the brim with, you know, anything you can imagine, anything that's broken is electronic because Cubans are very uh, um, ingenious and they can fix anything to underwear and t-shirts and other clothing and flip-flops and shoes and toiletries and um, you name it, you know, we, we bring it. Um, so that's how we're able to, you know, get in, get in and out of Cuba. Are there any places that are have been particularly negative experiences? And and I guess I'm asking whether that's down to racism, down to just not feeling welcome, or that there's some institutional problems that you don't want to go back to, particularly with students. Um, I would say at this point I wouldn't go back to them. Um, you know, China was China is something else. You know, because of the isolation uh, of China. Because, because of the language barrier, because, you know, it, it's homogeneous, you know, you have a lot of different uh, variables to deal with when being in China, particularly when the only black people they see are on TV and are superstars. And so I don't say I wouldn't go back, but it's, it's definitely not going to be on the top of my list to go back to, to China. We had, we had students who just didn't feel comfortable. They were, you know, being you know, had their picture taken without them knowing and, you know, you're walking and people were grabbing their hair and um, it, it made them feel really uncomfortable. So a lot of that is due to um, the novelty of, of, of Black people in China uh, and curiosity, I know. Um, and I want to say maybe there's a, a bit of it that's, that's um, a little bit of racism where you kind of like, you're feeling like you are in a zoo. Um, I don't know what percentage that that is, but you know, taking taking the kids, it doesn't um, it doesn't feel good when they don't feel good. We live in a racist world. It's pretty pretty evident about that. You and me speaking in America in the second week of January. I mean, you know, let's not beat about <laughs> beat about the bush about this about this country that we live in, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. And and uh, 
So, so you know, taking a deep sigh because just where we are right now. Uh, how, in general, how do you see the rest of the world? I mean, uh, do you feel pretty much welcome where you go? That, that, I do feel pretty much welcome. I remember in South Africa, we were, um, you know, we had this guide at this at one point who he was um, Afrikaans, and he made this joke about winning winning uh, Mandela, and he was a he was a white Afrikaans. I'm like, it with a group of black people, like, don't you know your audience? Like, what are you, what are you doing? You know, he made this awful, awful joke. Um, and this is right after, uh, I think right after she had, uh, um, Nelson Mandela had passed away, I believe. Um, so yeah, so in, 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 in South Africa, we had a couple of incidences and they, but they have their whole, they have a long history of, of racism and, and all of that. So, you know, that is what it is. Um, and, and, most oftentimes it happens for me um, in the airports or on the planes um, is where, you know, I, I end up trying to hold my tongue because I have kids with me or uh, hold my hold my attitude, right? Make sure I stay calm. But for the most part, I feel pretty welcome um, in the countries that I visit. At this point, three of Ashley's former or ongoing travel students dialed in to join us. I started off by asking them which countries they'd been to. Nia went first. So um, I'm 24, and the countries I've been to include Senegal, Italy, China, Cuba, Guatemala, Dominican Republic, and Morocco. Next up, Deja. I am 23 years old, and I have been to the Dominican Republic, Mexico, Jamaica, Japan, and Guatemala. And now, Joy. Um, I'm 15. I've been to Jamaica, Guatemala, Dominican Republic, the Virgin Islands. All three are way more traveled than I was at their age, especially in Nia's case, though much of her travel was on study abroad programs. The one place all three young women have been with Mr. Scott, as they call Ashley, is Guatemala. So I asked them to talk more about that experience. Again, Nia went first. So that ended up being my favorite trip of, of all the trips that I've taken so far in my life. And the reason why is because of the at-home feel that I had when I was there. We were in a very rural place. I actually forget the name. Mr. Scott, can you remind me? San Pedro. Oh, San, San Pedro. Yes, <laughs> San Pedro. And what I really loved about it, and I was telling Mr. Scott this a few days ago, that even though their community is like so well-defined, um, it's, it's amazing how welcoming they are. I've been to, to more like westernized places like Italy or um, in, in China. And even though things were more familiar, it was still more divided in a way. And so it, it wasn't like that in Guatemala. And I, I also found something similar with Senegal too. To me, it just seems like groups of people who, who are more like well-defined and like who are very um, true to their culture, it seems like they don't really have any issues with accepting other people in, in their cultures because it's almost like they had nothing to fight for. I think maybe that's, that's where it, it stems from. Thanks. Is there anything uh, either of the others, uh, Deja uh, or Joy, could offer on that? Um, I actually really agree with that. When we went to Guatemala, that was one of my favorite trips um, outside of going to the DR. But I do agree that it was very like family oriented. That was, I think, the best part about it. And I think that was also 
um, just by where, what we were staying in a house um, with the family. So they were there with us, which I think actually helped any other trip that I've been on. It's always been where it's like a cruise ship or we're in a resort somewhere. So it's just like a bunch of tourists and everybody's just kind of enjoying, you know, their time and, you know, whatever, everything's catered to you. But we're at a home where we went and where I'm washing dishes like I'm at home, you know, I'm cleaning up like I'm at home. So it felt really nice to just really be able to interact with the family um, and just the whole entire environment down there. It's like they were all looking out for each other. And it's like the the city that we were in, um, it felt so small. Like everything was in walking distance and everybody like felt like they knew each other. So it was like, you know, you're walking down the street and they're talking about, you know, their little family get together or, you know, some of the paintings and, you know, how they all, how they all connect. And it was really interesting to see that because you don't really see that in other countries. Like when I've been to um, Jamaica and when I was in Japan, it was very like, yes, it was like what you were saying. It was more modernized. So it was a lot of stuff that I was familiar with, but it was like, you know, everybody's just kind of doing their own thing. So it's not really like a, a, it's not, doesn't feel as welcoming and as friendly like Guatemala did. Yeah, I think just as a learning experience, you know, I, I'm, if you can't tell from the accent, I grew up in Britain and we we just had exchange trips with with France, which is really not far away at all. Um, like, 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 <laughs> I mean, we were probably traveling all of about 200 miles as the crow would fly, but it, it did involve, you know, crossing a crossing a channel and all of that. And just to be in another family's home, I did it when I was 12, 13, like 12, just 13 and just 15 and two weeks in another family's home, especially if the, the parents didn't speak English. I mean, it was a really instructive. You just learned, just learned so much culturally. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's It does strike me as such a, such an amazing thing to be able to do. Where does the, uh, the social justice aspect of it come, come into play? Joy, have you, were you maybe the most recent student to go there? Just being the, the youngest, I don't know. Joy's mom is the director of the nonprofit Social Justice Cafe for Girls. So um, so she should be able to answer this question very well. <laughs> um, so basically with the Social Justice Cafe for Girls, um, it's sort of an opportunity to get young girls like myself or girls in the community who haven't been able to travel as much or learn more about social justice and like their regular schools or they would come to our group and my mom will take them out on traveling. She set up certain pop-up shops, um, tell them how to be themselves, you know, how to deal with their hair. Um, basically just basic things that, well, not basic, but things that can help, you know, help them expand themselves and the community. So the idea of the Social Justice Cafe for Girls, um, Joy hit it on the head. Um, one of the things that uh, her mom wants to do is provide an opportunity for Black girls to be able to um, be in a safe space and, and grow up and be their full selves um, without the worry of the external pressures that we have here in the U.S. Additionally, she wants to address some of the common issues and some of the common things that kind of are... are um, obstacles or pitfalls that many of our Black girls have to go through, um, you know, sexual violence and uh, gender violence and, um, you know, sexism and all that. So they talk about all those, all those things. Nia and Deja, um, they're both, um, you know, over 20 years old. So they came with us as uh, peer mentors. So having already, you know, gone through their 15, 16, 17 year old stage, they were able to provide a, a little guidance, um, some stability, um, some big sistership to some of the other, some of the young girls who were there. So that was their role there. How much do the do the local people there know about the United States? Like, like beyond, you know, I mean, 
did what do they know about the you know about politics in America about race? They don't know much about politics in America. Only what they see in news. And I think I'm going to answer that question and then and then make another point. Oftentimes when I go there, they're asking me, especially um, you know this past not this recent election but the election before that. You know how could this election happen and what is, what does that mean for them? Because many of them are trying to find better places for themselves. You know one of the things that our girls do while they're there or what they experience and Nia and Deja, you guys can enjoy, you guys can jump in and, 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 you know, speak for yourselves. But I think what Guatemala does for them and why I like Guatemala, it, it allows them to just be a black girl without the pressures and the exterior uh, forces that sometimes can beat our girls down, right? That can sometimes um, cause us to question ourselves, question their beauty, question their worth, question, you know, everything about them. They can literally just be down there and Deja can just be Deja and she can be, you know, a, a city girl and, and and rock out and Nia can be Nia and she can be introverted and, you know, just do her thing and Joy can be in between and, you know, have the, have the luxury of both, of both worlds and no one questions their femininity. No one questions who they are. No one questions anything about them and they have the, the luxury of what we really want them to have while they're here. Um, but you guys can speak to that uh, more if you want to. But that's that's the beauty of Guatemala, why we why we go there every year. Yeah, I definitely agree. Guatemala was definitely fun. Um, and just being able to just be out and having fun in, it's crazy, I'm going to say in the city, but <laughs> being on my city girl activity and just having fun down there and actually just feeling safe. Um, I think that was definitely something new for me, being able to just go out and just hang out with the local people and not feel like something is going to happen. Like we we had gone, um, like our, our first night there, we were out to like two, three o'clock in the morning with people we had just met and we were just having so much fun. Um, and not having like those pressures and those worries of like looking over my shoulder every five minutes. And like, it was like, everybody was just looking out for each other. And there was a lady um, who lives next to the person that we were staying with. Um, she had a dance class upstairs and she had saw us. It was me and a group of the girls we were out and she had saw us and she was like, now you girls get home safe. Like she was with us and then she left early and she was, you know, making sure that we were okay. So it's like, that's cool. Like to, you know, have just met her and to still kind of have that, you know, that like motherly, I'm watching out for you, even though I really don't know you. So that was definitely fun for sure. Are you able to um, keep friendships going when you come back? I mean, in the old days, it would be pen pals, but I don't think anybody's particularly. Well, are, are you? <laughs> do you write letters to them? <laughs> or, or, but do you stay? Do you stay in touch with them? Have you actually kind of like developed friendships with uh, with the girls down there? Joy. Um, yes. Yeah, so it's so funny because um, I think yesterday, the day before yesterday, we were on the phone with um, Mario. Um, he is the guy, he's a guy in Guatemala and he sells um, backpacks and like bracelets and stuff. And we kind of like acquainted like a friendship with him. So every now and then he'll call and we'll answer and be like, hey, Mario. And like, um, even with the families, we still keep in contact with the families as well. It's kind of like a relate, not, it's like a family relationship. Like you're calling your aunt or your cousins and you're like wishing them happy birthday and like, how are you? And stuff like that. And Tony, that, that, that's, the, that's the beauty of, of, of Abiri Tours and the Social Justice Cafe for Girls, right? It's not just enough to get, you know, black and brown kids out of the United States into another country, right? That's, that's not the goal. The goal is to get them out, to get them to build relationships so that they understand that, you know, that they are part of something larger. Mm -hmm. And to, to add to that, um, to me, 
what I, I really love about A Very Tours is, and the uh, partnership with the cafe is that the trip is organized in a way where we're gonna build relationships with the locals. And so on my regular study abroad trip, sometimes I didn't have that. And so sometimes things will pop up for my classmates, um, issues on like, well, is this cultural appropriation? Can we partake? But when, I, when, when I'm with the Beery Tours, the way things are organized, we're, we're getting to meet the locals and they're oftentimes inviting us to partake. And so it's, it's just different when you're invited to say, hey, um, uh, here's, here, here's the, the local dress or uh, here's how you make this meal. Like it's, it's sharing. And to me, that, that's what makes it a whole lot special, um, a whole lot more special than my study abroad. Another place all four have been to, and it's another place I have not been to, is the Dominican Republic, or DR for short. For Deja, that's all about family, but for Ashley and Joy, they went on a volunteer trip with a mission. And we went there and lived in a village with no Wi-Fi. She didn't like that too much. Um, in the mountains. And we stayed there for about a week and a half, um, you know, um, building... Um, building um, uh, birdhouses for the golden sparrow because they're endemic dependent uh, Dominican Republic and they're endangered. And these golden sparrows um, help the local farmers to get to keep away the bugs, um, the insect. And so um, we were building those birdhouses in order to try to bring them back. That sounds pretty amazing. And uh, how are you without the Wi-Fi, Joy? Oh, without the Wi-Fi, I mean, it gave me a sense to connect with the people around me and like the nature, instead of just sitting on my phone, taking pictures, it was able for you to make the memories to relive through them instead of- Okay, Joy, that's the that's the, that's the politically correct answer. Like, did you like not being without the Wi-Fi, Joy? Come on. <laughs> yes, I did. I, honestly, I did because during that trip, like we went with like a group of people and most of them, I, went, I, weren't, I didn't really know that well, but after we left the trip, we all became friends. So true. it was- That is true. Yeah. The Dominican Republic had a profound influence on Nia as well. Um, I went with my parents. We went for Thanksgiving. And we stayed on the resort, but my parents really wanted me to get out and understand local living. I forget what part we were in, but what I, I do remember was that it was very rural. And our tour guide was a local who had all these connections with all the other locals. Um, all of them were like small businesses. And so just like the way that was run to where it wasn't like um, like how like cruise ships or like how resort companies have these, these very packaged tours for tourists. It was very much like, you're gonna get the real deal. And so that to me, just like I, that, that just took off. That's the whole reason why I travel today, so. Well, that was a perfect segue because that's exactly what I wanted to ask next was, was literally that. Um, what is it about travel that makes somebody, um, you know, a, a more whole? Why, why is it so important for young people to travel? Um, I think it's important um, to travel because you get to experience other cultures. I feel like in the U.S. we are so fortunate to have a lot of different um like luxuries that other countries don't have and you don't realize how blessed you are until sometimes you're in another area. And it doesn't always mean that you go to a country, um, you know, a third world country or however you want to call it, but 
just even even in countries that are more well developed, you still there are certain things that you just appreciate more. Like you have more like in Guatemala, for example, we had fresh food every single day. We gone we went to the market and saw them, you know, shopping for food and getting chickens like that. And that was a different experience than what we're used to. So that was definitely um, really nice. And you just get to get an experience um, of other cultures and how they live, how they interact, how they work. And I think it brings more of an understanding, you more understanding of people in general um, when you're able to see different cultures like that and not just kind of stay stuck at home. Anybody else like to offer that? That was a pretty con complete answer, but Joy? Like how much more travel do you have ahead of you? Um, I have a lot of more traveling ahead of me. Basically, Deja, she hit very well. Um, that was kind of like the reason why I still travel now. Because sometimes I do have the option if I want to travel or not. And I always choose to because learning about different cultures is just one thing that I love to do. And I don't like to sit still. So it's interesting, Tony, because we, 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 as we plan for the social justice cafe, like we plan what countries we want to go to. Um, and we, um, the second year we were thinking about going to another country, but you know, we had uh, several other girls who were repeat travelers and joy was one of them. And, and I initially was going to, we were going to go somewhere else. And, you know, I was outnumbered and outvoted because they had so much fun in Guatemala. And I think, you know they have fun because they're with kids and they they're running around and you know they're 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 carefree or whatever, and I and they may know this. Joy may know this. Um, Deja and, and Nia, you know, particularly may know this. But as as an older adult, I I see, you know, the joy that it brings to other people when they interact with my students. I see when my students are listening to them and trying to understand the language and trying to understand the culture and asking them questions about them, about asking them questions about their lives and their families and their culture. And how do you do this? And why do you do this? And not in a way of um, uh, being, being rude, but in a way of being inquisitive and wanting to know and wanting to learn and wanting to be a part of that particular culture, you know, as much as we can while we're there. I see the, the smile and the light that it brings to the people in the countries that we travel when my, when my students go. And then, you know, conversely, I see the light it brings in our students as well. You know, they get excited when we start talking about, you know, certain things like, watch, you want to see them smile? Let's talk about that mountain. Everybody remember the mountain? Uh, you see? They're, they're all smiling. <laughs> I see, I know, I know what impact them. I know, you know, what, um, what I see when changes happen within their lives. I can see. And just a small anecdote, um, we use Deja as an example. We climb this mountain that's called Indian Nose, and we do this sunrise hike. And they all knew that it was going to be a sunrise hike. They all knew it was going to be a mountain. They all, they knew what we were getting into. But probably halfway through the mountain, I'd say four or five of the girls wanted to give up. And three or four of the adults that came with us wanted to give up as well. Um, but they all pushed through. And if you could have seen the breakthrough in all of their eyes when they got to the mountain. It was definitely metaphorical, um, but it was it was it was a representation of life, what they had gone through in other parts of their lives, and then the ability to feel like they can do and conquer anything. So, so for the three of you girls, is there a place that's top of your list to visit next? And if there is, why? What is it, and why? I'll go with Costa Rica. That's been on my list for a while. Um, because of their happiness score, and they seem to be 
making a lot of progress with their sustainability efforts. Plus, it's one of the most beautiful countries. One of the places that I've been wanting to go to for a long time is actually uh, Tulum, Mexico. I've been to Cozumel before, but I really would like to go to Tulum and go see the, um, I forgot what they're called. They're like these underwater caves that I really, really want to go see. I just can't remember what the name of them are. When I was, I think one place that I want to go, I want to go to Switzerland. I've never been to anywhere in Europe. So for me, Switzerland is nice. And um, I always go somewhere hot. So going somewhere cold for a chance would be nice as well. And I really like the um, their like their scenery that they have, like the mountains and the calls that they do. I actually have one more thing to add. Go ahead. About um, one of your earlier questions, why is it useful or or important for young people to travel? And I had to marinate on that for a bit, um, and I I came away with like a few major points. And so. Um, it also made me think about like what's going on in the world as far as like the recent political events. And I had uh, a teacher from elementary school and actually this teacher taught uh, both me and Deja. And so we were talking about some of the things that was going on and she was saying how important it is to be able to hold multiple truths. And I feel like that's what traveling has done for me, um, especially in terms of like how to find middle ground with people um, and then how useful that's been for me in my academic life and like on the job, just being able to find middle ground with people and not hold on so hard and like so strong to like what I think is right. And so I feel like like traveling has really cut my teeth for that skill. So. Thank you. Thank you, that's great. Yeah, awesome, awesome. All right, well, thank you guys. Thanks again and all the best for 2021. And here's hoping we can all get to, get, get to some other destinations sometime this year. Yeah. Yeah. All, right. Pleasure. Thank you. all right bye 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 ashley and i stayed on the call to follow up on a couple of aspects we talked about the fact that all his educational travel was cancelled for 2020 once the pandemic started and he doesn't feel comfortable organizing trips yet for either his school students or his tour company but that will change and so specifically being intrigued by his own love of the place, I wanted to ask more about Guatemala and the people there. Now, you touched on this a little bit, I think, when we were talking with the girls that uh, they don't know too much details about the USA, but some of them might think that they, they would have a better life here. Um, so conversely, and this is a, a, a you know constant talking point of mine, conversely, we are raised and, and sort of taught through a lot of uh, media here in, in the States that other countries you know, where, where people are trying to come here must therefore be just complete disasters. So I've traveled enough to know that that's, that's, uh, it's not as uh, black and white as that, if you'll excuse the metaphor. What can you, what can you say about that, that kind of uh, built-in attitude that we, we tend to have about those? Yeah, I agree. I think, yeah, I agree. I think in the United States that there's this idea that the United States is the center of the universe, right? Like everything you know, comes from and everything tries to get back to the United States for whatever reason, right? We have the best of everything is, is, is the idea. What I've learned when traveling is that I there's not one comfort that I can't find any other place that I travel to. Um, I don't miss the United States because of, you know, X or Y or whatever or Z. Um, one other thing about Guatemala is that it's such a peaceful uh, place to be 
like you you haven't gone tony but i promise you it, it's a it's a time suck like you go there and you say i'm gonna go be here two weeks and then two and a half weeks goes by and you're like oh maybe i can stay another week you know and you just get sucked in it, it's the most peaceful place i've ever been in my life um it's on this lake well san pedro is where i go and san pedro is on this lake lake atitlan which is uh the most beautiful lake i've ever seen in my it's gorgeous it's beautiful um joy crowded he described it being in the valley um you know it's you know it, it it's a place that is extremely magical because of the you know the history of the mayans that is there um but i think when i go there going back to your to, to your question is that i'm i'm trying to find comfort and when i get there i find that um in guatemala and i find that with people and around people and so i don't really look for anything else now again i'm privileged and have the you know have the ability to be able to you know support myself for the time that i'm there and live at a means that make me comfortable of course um which most most people don't have that ability people who live there don't um but there's people who live there who are from the states and from australia and from the uk who have retired there and who've made a living there and i think it's it's a testament to um, their ability to kind of, you know, excuse my French, but just, you know, disrobe and leave the bullshit away, you know, and um, just actually live. And that's what that's what happens when you get there. Of the 40 countries that you've been to, which is the most fascinating? Uh, uh, Japan is that for me. Um, it's because of, and I've take, taken students there, and in, in their classes, they looked at... Um, you know, the rise of Japan from World War II to, you know, the 21st century and how they were able to rebuild and what they were able to do in order to, and then to, you know, be on top of the technology world and um, be you know, cutting edge. And that place to me is fascinating to see the, the dichotomy between old Japan and, and feudalism and, and then new Japan and, you know, the robots and Toyota and, you know, all of that that comes in and, you know, the, the all the automated stuff they have there, um, the the deep culture, it, you know, it's it's super, super expensive, but um, it definitely is fascinating. I, I love, I love Japan. Japan is actually really, really high on my list for some of the reasons that you mentioned. I'm, I'm fascinated by the prospect of being fascinated. Um, but I, I'm also pretty well sold on guatemala at this point so <laughs> we we may have to be back in touch at some point when we uh, when we feel we can we can do this again you know you know so. tony that was my goal at one point to let everybody know of the secret of which guatemala is um and let them know because here's the thing i i, I literally have family there now like um the family i stay with i stayed there my first year there I was there, like I said, five or six weeks, and I and each year after that, so it's been like five years now, except for last year, I've stayed with that same family. Um, the daughter of the mom I stayed with just had a baby, um, and she named her baby after my girlfriend because of you know our efforts in helping them and reaching out to them and being a part of their lives. And so um, it was part of my it was my mission to let everybody know of the secret of, of Guatemala. Now I think I got to pull back because it's been trending on Discovery Channel and all kind of blogs. And, you know, I think everybody's figuring out San Pedro at this point. And I want to keep my little secret, you know, um, untouched and, and pristine as it, you know, as it was when I first went there. But you got to go, though. You got to go. 
and I will. You can find out more about Abiri Tours by visiting abiritours.com. That's A-B-I-R-I-T-O-U-R-S dot com. You can also find Travelling Incognito on many, but not all, of the podcast platforms. Uh, just a reminder, Ashley hasn't updated it since he went back to school in the fall. And uh, you can also find Abiri Tours on a lot of social media. I'm going to put a lot of different things in the show notes and on our own social media. I'm going to post some pictures that Ashley's going to send me as well. My deepest gratitude to Ashley for being such a great guest and for lining up the three students as well. And I want to wish him all the best of luck. And who knows, maybe I'll try and find a way to sign on for his travel at some point or just show up in San Pedro, Guatemala when he's down there. Once we're all back out and about, that is. This is the point in the show where I usually just give a little bit of a diary entry on what I've been doing in terms of things that relate to the format of One Step Beyond. And the thing I really want to talk about today is that the day before I edited this show, the day before the inauguration, I got out skiing for the first time this season. Now, I kind of was really thinking about doing a show on skiing, especially in the pandemic. But, you know, it's really hard work holding that Zoom recorder and it's especially going to be hard work holding it while skiing. And I think I've got a weird bit of carpal tunnel syndrome from the day that I went up Rusk Mountain months back now with uh, Ken Posner holding a recorder at a certain angle for about three or four hours while we were on a hike. So I didn't do it. What I did do is I got to go with my oldest son, Campbell. Now, from the age of about, for him, about seven to all the way to him going to college, he and I would spend our winters on the mountains, particularly on Hunter Mountain. We lived nearby and it was relatively inexpensive to get season tickets and especially if you decide that you're not going to do a ski trip further afield. Campbell snowboards, by the way, and he got really good at it. He's pretty lightweight, but you know what? That just seems to mean he flies even faster down the hill. It's been that father-son bonding thing for me. And ever since he went off to college, I kind of found that I really, really missed doing it with him. I would still go with friends and go on my own during the week, but it's not the same as like running is for me. You know, it's something that I associate with having someone close to me to chat with on the chairlift. Campbell and I have sorted out most of life's problems on the ski slopes. Now, this may or may not be the place for me to say that he's had a lot of problems with asthma this last year. He got ill just before the pandemic and he's been living with mom and effectively been isolating for much of the last year. It's not the way a 25 year old should be living. So I was so excited that we took a two and a half hour drive up to Gore Mountain. The weather was perfect, meaning cold, but not too cold with a few snow flurries. There was enough snow on the ground for us to ride and ski fast but not so much that have bunched up into moguls. And I've learned the hard way that Gore is capable of that and uh, that it can throw you for a wobbly. I was kind of worried that my kid might not have the strength needed to get out there for a day, but we got a solid four hours in and pretty much took it till last run. And in case you're wondering, and many of you may be, here in New York State at least, there are some very firm conditions laid down for the ski mountains. You travel on the chairlifts and in the gondola, which Gore Mountain has, in your own bubble, meaning, in our case, just the two of us. If you're single, you can also ask to have that gondola all for yourself or the chairlift all for yourself 
or go with one other person at most. Gore Mountain had put up a pop-up boot tent outside, which I used. It was heated as well, which was really nice, and it was also ventilated at the same time. And the end result was that the two of us didn't need to go into the lodge whatsoever. And I've talked about this in recent episodes, you know, from running that marathon in Albany, that these are not even particularly group activities. You're out there on a mountain, pretty much on your own, skiing, riding at your own pace. You're not around other people. You're not breathing on other people. Compared to taking a trip to the supermarket, this is like, you know, kind of the safest thing you can be doing. And just to add, there's a requirement to have a face covering on at all times when you're not actively going down the mountain or eating. And given that most skiers and snowboarders are wearing face masks half the time anyway, that's not too much of a discomfort. Skiing isn't a cheap sport, unfortunately, especially when you're treating your son. But there is no such thing as a bad day on the mountain. One Step Beyond is written, produced and narrated by Tony Fletcher. Incidental music is by Noel Fletcher, unless otherwise stated. The theme song is by Madness, used with permission, and the logo is by Mark Lerner. Special thanks to Radio Kingston for airing these episodes and for supplying studio space when not under lockdown. If you like what you hear, please consider throwing us a tip via the Support This Show button on your phone or by visiting supporter.acast.com slash one step beyond lowercase. You can also hit the subscribe button and or leave a positive rating and or review. It all helps. One Step Beyond is on social media, mainly on Instagram. Just search One Step Beyond with Tony Fletcher there or on Facebook and Twitter and we should come up straight away. To subscribe to a newsletter, to reach out via email, and especially if you're interested in sponsorship opportunities, the address is one step beyond at ijamming.net. One Step Beyond is available on just about every podcast platform known to man, and most likely a few that have yet to be discovered. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay active.